I love all of your stories. Every one of you has a story about community of faith and the impact that God has made in your life. We're talking about that right now. We're talking about I am community of faith, not just I attend or I go. I'm so glad to be back with you. I just got back from Denver. I hit the ground in Denver. It was negative two, and I was going, thank God for Houston, right? And, uh, but there was a reason why I was in Denver, and he's right up here. Take a look. Right there. Arden Andrew, my fourth grandchild. So, so excited about Arden. It's the first grandchild of my daughter, Ashley, my youngest. And he's just a beautiful baby, but he has more hair than me, so I'm a little jealous. But I'm so glad to get to share with you today. If you're listening at home, I'm so glad you're with us. You know, we're really just doing our membership class because we want a whole new generation of members. We want you to be a part of it. Even if you say, hey, I've been a member for a long time, I want you to re-sign up, kind of like, you know, renewing your vows to community of faith because I think God's got something amazing for us in this next few years that we've never seen before that God's going to do. So excited about that. So if you are here the last two weeks, you're here this week. And if you're here next week, we will have a place out in the lobby where you can sign up for the membership agreement. We'll have staff and others out there to help you and to walk with you. And we're also having baptism next week. So if you want to be baptized, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. The part I want to talk to you about today and what we encourage you to do as a member of Community of Faith, we want you to do spiritual disciplines. Now, every time we hear the word discipline in America, we're like, I don't know, going to the gym or what? You know, I don't want to do that because we like to our Oreos and Twinkies and, and all of that. But these are very simple things that we can do. You see, let me read you this verse. This is one of my favorite verses. I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. This is a big promise. If you step into faith with Jesus, like we talked about these last couple of weeks, if you say, I receive what you did for me on the cross, I believe that you are God, I believe that you are Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life, and we step in full out, then God's spirit comes to live inside of us and he never lets us go. He never lets us go, and he's always working on us. Now, he has two ways to work on us. He can work on us from outside, or he can work in us from inside, and he promises, I'm going to work on you till the day you die to make you more like my son, Jesus. Now, when he works on us from the outside, that's he allows outside pressures and and tough times to come. See, nothing can come into your life as a believer unless it comes through his fingers of love. He allows it. And if he's allowed it, there's a purpose for it. See, God wants us to rule and reign with him forever. And so he's teaching us how to be overcomers. Jesus said in the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, to the one who overcomes, they will sit on my throne with me. They'll rule and reign with me forever. So this is kind of like boot camp, and God's going to make sure that you're equipped to do what he has for you to do in heaven, the amazing job of ruling and reigning. But the other way that he can work on us is in us because the Holy Spirit lives in us. These spiritual disciplines, what they do is they kind of like open up a welcome mat, like work within me. And I believe that the more God works within us, the less he has to work on us. 
And so a lot of times, a lot of those big stressors and things go away because we're allowing him to work in us and we're growing and changing. So I wanna talk about a few spiritual disciplines today. And I think, you know, which would you prefer, that God works on you or that you open up the welcome and say, God, work within me? The spiritual disciplines are just simple pathways welcoming God's work in us. The first thing we need to do to cooperate with God, we grow through daily devotions. That's the first spiritual discipline, a daily devotion. Now, the definition of devotion is love, loyalty, commitment, passion, or enthusiasm for a person or activity. You feel that way about Jesus? See, he wants to walk with you. There's a couple of reasons. One, to know God intimately. See, the more we know God, and when more we know his heart, the more we'll trust him. And the more we trust him, the more we want to obey him. Jesus said one time, he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I always, you know, growing up as a religious person, heard that like, work really hard and keep his commandments and that proves that you love him. That's not what he said. If you catch what he said, he said, if you really love me, you will keep my commandments. The more we fall in love with him, the more we just naturally begin to keep those commands because we trust his heart. We know that the things that he's asked us to do are the things that are best for us. And then number two, not only to know him more, but to grow spiritually. Another important reason we, we do the daily devotion is to grow or mature spiritually, cooperating with God in this transformation into Christ-likeness. And the thing about this knowledge of God, it's not, it can't just be intellectual, but a, a deep recognizing, understanding, that comes through personal relationship. God wants to spend forever with you. Now, I know you. I don't know why he chose to spend together, you know, forever with you. I don't know why he chose to spend together, uh, forever together with me. It doesn't make any sense to me. But in his great understanding, he says, I want to bring you into my family. He talked about how he actually adopts us into his family with all the rights. We're actually heirs with Jesus, we talked about last week. So if we're gonna have a daily time with God, a devotional, there's a couple of things we need to know. First, it must be intentional. We've gotta do it on pur purpose. It's gotta be planned. I think at the same time, the same place. Now, for each of us, that's very different. Some of you are night owls, you know? You, you just like to stay up late at night. Like some people... They wake up in the morning and they say, good morning, Lord. And then some of you wake up and say, good Lord, it's morning, right? You know, a little bit different. So you can have your time with God anytime you want to. I like to do it in the morning because I like to get started off right. God has been waiting all night sitting beside my bed because he doesn't sleep, looking over me in love. And I like to wake up and say, hey, God, thanks for welcoming me into this day. I wanna walk with you today. I wanna to spend a little bit of time. Now, you can do it a lot of different ways. My wife loves to journal. She journals all her prayers. She journals and journals and journals. And um, I don't do that as much. I, if you catch me journaling, I'm really going through a tough time in my life because that's when I'll pull out a journal because I need to be able to, to see it and to think through it. There might be a few cuss words in my journal and stuff, but did you know that God knows that too? 
He knows that. He, he knows what's in your heart. You can't hide it from him. So just lay it all out there and, and let him see it. And I'll go back later and, you know, scratch those out in case the kids read it later, right? You know, but journaling, creative journaling for some of you, like you like to paint, to draw, to do calligraphy or music. Some of you are musicians and you can just get your guitar out or your piano or whatever, your harmonica. I don't know what you use, um, but you can, kazoo is what I do, you know, <laughs> but just tell the Lord in song that you love him. It's an amazing thing. That's what we're doing in the first part of this service. Now, sometimes I think if I was doing that, God would go, okay, plenty, that's good, you know, because <laughs> some of us, we're not quite as musically inclined as others. In fact, I'll never forget, I was praying, I was singing hymns and praying, but mostly singing hymns over my father the day before he died. And I sang about five hymns and I couldn't remember any more hymns. So I said, I ran out of hymns, but if you'll remind me, I'll sing some more. And he looked at me, he goes, please don't. He passed away the next day, and then he got to hear the angels in heaven, which is a whole lot better, you know. But some of you, maybe it's walking. You like to walk, and that, that helps you because you can concentrate better. I, I talk to God a lot at the gym. Uh, when I'm at the gym, I'm riding the bike, and, and, you know, God has shown me some deep things sometimes on the bike. Some of you, it might be a book study. Now, you don't necessarily have to do what the psalmist said. But listen to what he said. He said, seven times a day, I praise you because of your righteous ordinances, because your word is true and right. Seven times a day. You say, seven times a day? I couldn't do that. Well, I'm only talking about one time a day, okay? But you know the Muslims do it. Have you ever been in a, in a Muslim country and uh, you're there and you know, before dawn is the first time the horns blare out from the mosque. I was at a hotel right next to the mosque and it's blowing, you know, right into me, the call to prayer. Five times a day that happens. But it's like before dawn is the first one and I'm thinking, who gets up at this ungodly hour? Well, a lot of the Muslims were up praying. So I thought I better get up and pray too, you know? I was like, God, are you even awake at this hour? I don't know, I don't get up this early. Some of you are always up before dawn. Spend 5, 10, 15 minutes. I'm not talking about an hour, just a few minutes. Another thing, it must be focused. So it's got to be intentional, but it's got to be focused. It's your personal relationship with God. See, it doesn't count for me if I get up and I'm studying my sermon for you because I'm preparing that for you. This is for me and me alone. So, you know, that's important that we understand that, that we get that, that it's a time for God and me. Jesus said, get alone in your closet. Get there without distraction. So maybe find a place where you can not be distracted for just 10 minutes. Paul was writing to Timothy, and he said to Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily training is slightly beneficial, but godliness is beneficial for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. He's saying, hey, go to the gym, that's great, but that's not the best thing. Discipline yourself for godliness. And you know what that tells me? That tells me that it's whether I feel like it or not. Just spend that time. You know what I found as a believer? Sometimes it feels like God's a million miles away, but that's just a feeling. It's not real. It's not accurate because he promised, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He's right there. 
And so I come to him no matter how I feel, knowing that he's there. You know, you feel like your prayers don't get above the ceiling, but they don't have to because he's there with you. He's walking with you. And and just, you know, spend some time telling him about your day. Ask him questions. Those are the things. He's got, he's, he's there and he wants to be with you. I want us to practice a little bit of what that would look like for you right now. Just close your eyes with me. If you're at home, close your eyes. Kind of block out everybody else. I know there's a lot of people here, but it's just you and him. Tell him something you're thankful for. We forget to show gratitude to him sometimes. He does so many things. What are you thankful for? What has he done for you lately? Sometimes we even pray prayers and we forget to thank him for the answers. What is it? Just tell him a couple of things. Now tell him something that you like about him, that you love about him, about his character. That's called praise. So the first is thanks. Then we move into praise. But praise is just saying, you know what I like about you, God? I love that you're so merciful. I love that you're so loving. I love that you're so humble. I love that you're so strong. What is it? Tell him a few things. And then if you're a believer, I want you to practice breathing spiritually. Somebody called this spiritual breathing, and I really like that. So what we do is we breathe out the carbon dioxide, and we breathe in the oxygen. So we're going to breathe out by confession spiritually. So right now, you just say, Holy Spirit, you live inside of me. Is there anything that's blocking our relationship? Anything that I've done recently that's blocking our relationship? And don't try to dredge it up. Just let the Holy Spirit bring whatever he wants. And what do you do with it? You confess it. In the Bible, that simply means agree with. You don't have to crawl on broken glass across, you know, on your hands and knees to in penance. You just agree. I agree with you, Holy Spirit. That that was sin. And it says he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I'll give you just a second to do that. Now what I want you to do is he's brought a few of those things and you've just agreed with him. He's forgiven you. I want you to breathe in by saying, Holy Spirit, you live in me. I want you just to fill me up completely with yourself. Just ask him to do that. Just be the boss, be the Lord. I don't want to be in control of my life. I want you in control. Tell him that very simply. Now look back up here. You can do that all during the day. In fact, I've asked the Holy Spirit just to kind of tap me on the heart if, if I step out of line, you know? Yeah, you got angry there. And, and you need to confess that. And maybe you need to confess it to the other person. But sometimes it's just between you and God. He just says, I want you to clear that up so we can keep walking. The fruits of the Spirit, the Bible says, are love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Think about your marriage. Think about your life. If you were showing that all the time, and it naturally comes as you're filled with the Spirit. So you want to do that. So we have our daily devotions. The second spiritual discipline is prayer. We cooperate with God to grow us 
through prayer. And prayer, again, is just talking to God. I'm not talking about those little rote prayers, you know, that you learn as a kid. In fact, when you think about some of those, it's kind of crazy how we train our kids to pray, you know, because it's kind of scary. I mean, like, seriously, okay, kids, we're going to rest in God now. Let's say this together. Now I lay me down to sleep. Okay. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Okay. If I should die, and the kid's like freaking out, right? Before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Ah, you know, what is that? Kind of funny when you think about it. You know, it's kind of like ring around the rosy. Everybody felt, I mean, that's not good, right? <laughs> so we, we do some of this thing, but I'm talking about something much more personal. God wants something more personal. He wants to know you. He wants to be known by you. You say, well, doesn't he know me completely? He does, but he just enjoys spending time with you. It's kind of like your wife, guys. You know, you come home from work and so tell me all about your day. Ah, oh, you're so controlling. That's not what she's doing. She's trying to connect with you. And she just wants to be a part of your life. And God wants that. And so tell him about your day. Tell him about how things are going. Tell him about your concerns. Are you struggling with something? Let him know that. Is there something you don't understand? Ask him to show you. Just spend time with him. Listen to these verses on prayer. Jesus said, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Another verse, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. People ask me all the time, I just wish I knew God's will. I know it. Never stop praying and be thankful in all circumstances. This is God's will. Now, he didn't say be thankful for all circumstances, but in the midst of it. First Chronicles 16, 11 says, look to the Lord and his strength, seek his face always. So daily time, and then we pray in our daily time, and then we grow, we cooperate with God through the third spiritual discipline, personal Bible study. A personal Bible study isn't like trying to go to the seminary and learning all the history of the Bible or anything like that. It's, it's just to walk through the Bible with God. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. I like to have a plan, you know. Some people like to just like, you know, and I do this every once in a while when I get desperate. God, give me a word, and I just, you know, flip through the Bible and kind of put my finger down. I heard about one guy that did that, though, and he said, God, tell me what to do today. I'm just struggling with this. And he flipped through, and he put his finger down, and he looked, and it said, Judas went out and hanged himself. Like, ah. He goes, okay, another one maybe. Go thou and do likewise. Uh, that's worse, you know. And then one more. What thou doest, do quickly. Okay, so don't do that, all right? What I like to do, I start with the Gospels, the Gospel of John especially. There's more teachings of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And just read a few verses. You don't have to read the whole book at once. And when you read it, just think about what Jesus is saying. And the biggest thing is say, Holy Spirit, show me how does this apply to me today? Is there anything that I can do here? And if you see something, try to put it into practice in your life. 
It's, it, it, it's just this amazing walk. And, you know, maybe you want to memorize it or maybe a word or two really jumps out. Write it on a note card or something and think about it through the day. But the most important thing is how does this apply to me and do it? Because the Bible is a book of application. Charles Spurgeon, one of the great preachers of old, said when he was asked, what is more important, prayer or reading the Bible? He said, I always ask a question back. Well, tell, you tell me first, what's more important, breathing in or breathing out? So they're both important, right? And then the fourth and last discipline I wanna talk to you about, and this is the one that gets people's shoulders bunched up sometime, cooperating with God through tithing, through our finances. Now, I know the most sensitive nerve in the body, scientists tell us, is the one that goes from our heart to our money, right? And so some of you, you kind of bunch up. And I used to not talk about money at all until one day God's spirit convicted me and said, your people are gonna be really mad at you about a billion years from now if you don't talk about this because this is how you lay up treasure in heaven. So I was thinking of an experiment today and what I was gonna ask you to do is like take out your wallet, pass it to your neighbor and then give like you've always wanted to give. No, don't do that. Get your wallet back. I don't know that guy, okay? But we wish sometimes, oh, that would be, but if you think about it, all the money is God's. That's what he says, it's all mine. I give you a little bit of time to manage it and then, you know, it's all mine. And so he asks us, we see it all through the Bible. He says, if 10% first out of everything that you make, give 10% back to me through your local church so that I can just open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. Now, why 10%? I don't know. Why didn't he ask for 50%? It's all his. But I think 10%, he knew that's enough of our heart because he's not after our money. He's after our heart. And he wants us to put him first in everything. And sometimes finances, that's the hardest thing to put him first in. Think about this with me. Imagine you're out in the desert and you're dying of thirst and you've been just making it through the desert. You ran out of water two days before, your tongue's all swollen and you see a little shack in the distance and you think it might be an, you know, just a mirage, but you get there and it's like, no, it's real. And you go in and there's a pump and you're so excited but you try to pump it and nothing comes out. And then you look and there's like this two liter bottle of water that's there. And you're going, oh, at least I got that. But you know, that's not enough to get out of the desert. You're still, you might make it another day or two, but you're still gonna die of thirst, you know, cause you're right in the middle of the desert. But there's a note on the bottle and it says, I know you'll be tempted to drink this bottle because you probably feel like you're dying of thirst and you are. But if you'll trust me, Pour the top, pour this water into the top of the pump and it primes the pump. And you pump like crazy as you're pouring it in and it'll pull that water up from that deep well as you prime the pump and water will start pouring out and it'll just never ending. It's crisp, it's clear, it's clean. Well, what would you do? I think a lot of it depends on how much you trust the writer of the note, really, and how desperate you are. But God has written us some notes and he's saying exactly that with our finances. It's, it's just interesting. Let me read you 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. We'll break it down just real quickly. Jesus says, or God says, remember this, 
whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. The principle of sowing and reaping applies to our finances, to our giving. The more you sow, the more you reap. Every farmer knows that rule, right? Paul is actually saying that the amount entrusted to you in your life from God is dependent. It often depends on what you have done with what you already have. Are you a giver? God's mathematics, he says his ways are so much higher. God's mathematics don't make any sense to us. In God's mathematics, the best way to increase a sum is to subtract from it. You and I, we think, okay, if we have 10 minus one, that's only nine, but 10 minus zero is still 10. If I just hoard it, if I, if I save it, I'll have more. If I hoard everything, and God says, no, if you'll give me 10%, you'll have more. You'll have enough. That's what these verses uh, go on to say. In fact, that math that we have, 10 minus zero is more, that leaves God out of the equation because the real equation is 10 minus one plus all-powerful God who loves you with all that he is and has made you these promises equals what? So you see, it's a whole different formula really for that. God's promised you. In fact, he said in the Old Testament, put me to the test, tithe to me, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing that you won't even be able to contain it. And he's talking about economically, he'll do spiritual things for sure because our heart becomes his. He says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Wherever you put your treasure, that's, your heart is gonna follow your treasure. And the other thing he said, he said, when you give it to me, he said, no one is ever given to God in his kingdom that won't receive back 100 times as much. Now, my math is kind of rusty, but I think when you figure that out, that's 10,000% interest. So what you put up in heaven over the billions and billions and billions, infinity years you're gonna live there, keeps gaining 10,000% interest. That's amazing what God has put into place. Listen to what he goes on to say, though, how to give. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Reluctantly, that word in the original language means an inner pressure, like I need to give or God's gonna get me. Maybe some of you grew up that way. I better give to God or or everything. I mean, he's gonna, oh, it's gonna be bad. That's not why you give. And that's not who God is. The other compulsion is outer pressure. You know, you go to some of these places and like they'll show you pictures of little starving kids with flies all over them and, and stuff. And, and, and you just, oh, your heart goes out. And you just, oh, emotionally give something. Don't do it that way. In fact, if someone is putting the thumb on you to give, when the bucket comes by, you just say, hey, my pastor told me not to give to you guys because this is under compulsion. And they'll say, who was your pastor, <laughs> you know? And you can say, Ed Young. And then, uh, no. But, but it's just true that, like, don't do that. Don't do that, okay? Don't give under compulsion. 
goes on, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Is that a promise or what, right? You say, well, Mark, I don't see that in my life. Well, he says, give as you've decided in your heart. Make it a plan. Give that 10% to me, and I am able to do all of this. Well, I'm not seeing it, but you haven't opened the pathway. You know, it's not like you say, God, if you start doing that and I see it, then I'll give. A lot of us, you know, God, if you'll help me win the lottery, I promise I'll give 10%. No, that's not how it works, you know. It, 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 it's, it's saying, God, I believe you. He says, test me. It's the only time he ever said, test me. You'll know that I'm God. You'll get a front row seat to what I'm doing. You'll see it happen in your very own life. Enoughness, having all that you need. That's what he says. He goes on, as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Just stop right there for a moment. God says, if you do this, if you give to me generously and not grudging and not under compulsion, you'll be enriched in everything. I'll fill up your coffers. Why? So that you can be generous again. That's the point. See, God is always looking for pipelines into his kingdom. That's part of what he's trying to teach us. Like his kingdom is what it's all about. And as we give to him, our treasure gets put up into God and we begin to trust him more and see him working. And he answers those things, he, the promises that he gave. Some of the strongest promises are about, about money because God knew that's one of our biggest issues. You see, it'll either be a God for us or he'll be God. And he's saying just that 10% keeps you informed and, and, and shows your heart to the world around you. I see your heart but it shows that I'm the Lord of your life. I'm the boss of your life, and it's not money. And then it finishes out, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And that's happening all over the globe because of you and your giving. The Batois of Burundi, the little ones, they used to be called the pygmies. They weren't even considered human beings in Burundi when we first met them. Only two out of 10 of their kids lived to age five. Two out of 10. And so they would have a bunch of kids because only, and they wouldn't even name them until they're four or five because they didn't know if they were going to live. We're working with about 18,000 of the Batwa in Burundi right now. We're trying to get to the rest of the 70,000, but most of them are in the Congo. It's difficult to get into the Congo right now. And they're out in the deep forests in a lot of the places in some of the really remote places. But as we've been working with them over the last 10 years, did you know we've only lost one child among all those 18,000? It was only two out of 10 were living to age five. We've only lost one child. In fact, they're having kids like crazy. There's so many kids running around. And we, we hired a lady to kind of help them a little bit with some family planning and stuff, but she got pregnant. So that didn't work out very well. So there's a ton of kids, but I love them. Every one of them is precious to God. Every one of them has a name. The little children pulled out of sex trafficking in India. They thank God for you. The, the women in the Philippines that are pulled out of sex trafficking, they thank God for you. 
the refugees at Abba's house when they come in and they don't even know how to speak English and they're learning new skills. They thank God for you. The little orphans in Costa Rica at our orphanage there, which we built before we ever built a building because we wanted to make a statement. They thank God for you. And the widows of Nicaragua. Did you know we found when we went to Nicaragua to work with some of the kids that didn't have enough to eat, we found that there were widows living on the street, 70 and 80 years old, whose whole family was killed in the war there, the Civil War. And they had nobody. And they're living on the street. And so one of the things the Bible says is true and undefiled religion is helping orphans and widows in their distress. So we opened a home there where they could come in and they could live out their days with dignity, not on the street, having plenty to eat, finding some usefulness as they learn how to know God and pray for people. The other thing about financial giving, it aligns your life with God's agenda. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 16. He said, the one that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, and mammon is just the word for money, material things, who will commit to your trust the true riches? I don't know if you figured it out yet, but everything that we have here, it's kind of like monopoly money because this is boot camp. God is teaching us to rule and reign with him. You know, we'll look at someone and say, oh, their life is so easy. They, they, they must have God's blessing on them. Well, maybe they don't have that big of a job in heaven because maybe you're a green beret or an army ranger. He's going to send you out to start a whole new universe or something. You've got to have it a little tougher to learn how to be an overcomer at a whole different level. So it kind of flips all that on its head. But all the things he's given us, we're to show him that we know how to steward it. We know how to manage it. We know how to take care of it. You know, we look at our, our government and they're printing money like crazy. So it feels a little like monopoly money, doesn't it? You know, oh, we'll just print up another trillion over here and throw it out there. But the truth is, it's always been monopoly money because at the end of monopoly, what happens? It all goes back in the box. At the end of your life, what happens? Do you get to take it with you? It's true riches. You can have it forever. No, it goes in the box. And you go in the box. And then you hand it to your kids and then they squander it and it's done, right? So it, it, it's, it's just a moment, a test to see where we are. God is looking for pipelines for his kingdom. So the spiritual discipline I'm talking about is called the tithe. Seen all through the Bible. It's giving 10% of your income to God. And we go, 10%? Again, why did God ask for 10%? I don't know. Why didn't he ask for 50%? Because he just wants to show that our heart is his. And he wants us to remember that our heart is his. So you do that first before anything else. And then all these promises kick into gear. It helps us to remember his lordship. I always have some believers that come up and go, well, that was kind of an Old Testament concept, the tithe. They didn't do that in the New Testament. Oh, they did. They were still tithing. In fact, Jesus said, you know, you, you tithe and you should, but I want you not to forget some of these other weighty things too. But in the New Testament, it says over and over, and they gave everything. I was telling a guy that told me that one time, I said, oh, well, you can do New Testament. They gave everything. He goes, I like the Old Testament better than I thought, you know. But it really runs all the way through. 
and we can see that. So I want to give you a tithe challenge. I always like to start easy on you, okay? Here's my tithe challenge. If you'll give 10% of your income to God, you can start this month or next month, whatever. If you'll give 10% of your income to God through community of faith, if at the end of 90 days, you haven't had a sense of enoughness, you haven't been blessed and you haven't seen God working in some really cool ways because you think, I don't know how I can do that. Watch God meet your needs because he promised to. This is not from me. This is from him. But after 90 days, if you say, no, I'm not satisfied, I'll give you a satisfaction guarantee. Just come to me and I'll give all of it back to you plus whatever interest we earned at the bank for the 90 days. Does that sound like a pretty good deal? Now, whose faith is that? That's not your faith because you're riding my faith, right? But that's okay. Ride my faith for 90 days. I've seen it. I know it. And I know it's true. And then show, I mean, I've only had one person. I've done this probably every year in the last 20 years. I've had one person come back to me. And he came back to me like a year later. So he really wasn't following the rules exactly, you know. He came back a year later and he says, I tithed, but really, and it wasn't even a tithe, but that's okay too. And he said, $3,000 and I want it back. And I said, well, it's been a year. We crossed a tax year. So the church can't give you back your $3,000 because it'll violate IRS policies. And he goes, I knew it. And I said, but Laura and I want to just give it back to you personally. We'll just give it to you as a gift. And I went, got it out of my bank account and gave it to you. And he shut up pretty quick. But that's the only time I've ever had that. And I don't think that he was really doing what we talked about. If you really step into it. Now, some of you are going like, well, I don't know if I trust God and I don't know if I trust you. We'll start somewhere, okay? Start at 1% or 2% or 3%. Watch what the more blessed to give than to receive. You start to see your heart moves up into heavenly things. Some of you have been struggling and you've just, God, where are you? You got to open up the channels for him to do it. You have to obey. Now, all the promises kick in at 10%, but that doesn't mean he won't bless you with less because I've just seen him do it. He is an amazing, amazing God. He's so full of goodness, but I want you to get a front row seat to his goodness. So ride my faith, okay? Those are the spiritual disciplines, okay? That's, that's what you do. Next week, we're going to talk about baptism. And some of you have never been baptized. You've received Jesus. You've accepted him. You've done, said, I step into this, but you've never been baptized. That's the first thing he asks us to do. And if he'd asked you to do something hard like climb Mount Everest, you would have done it. But to dip underwater, why dip underwater? Again, you'll have to ask God one day when you get to heaven. I don't understand it all. But it is a little humiliating. But I say, you've received Christ. You've stepped into this journey with him full out. I call you by name, and I said, I bury you with Christ in baptism. You go under the water. I raise you to walk in a brand new life. And for some people, it's super emotional. For some people, it's just the next step of obedience, and it just feels normal. But for a lot of people, you really, it impacts you in a powerful way, but it's being obedient. I remember this one old man, and I'll close with this, an older man, and I I'd baptized 250 of you in that one day, and the the, the baptismal was at 104, and it, I was like, a, ugh, you know. So I'd kind of lost track of what I was doing. I got too close to the steps, 
I said, buried with Christ in baptism. And I took him down and slammed his head on the steps. And I was like, oh, this is bad. So I was getting ready to apologize. And when he came up, I said, raised to walk in a brand new life. And I'm looking at him and I'm getting ready to apologize. And he goes, pastor, I felt something under there. It, it was like an explosion of light. I've never, and I just looked at him and said, well, God works in mysterious ways, doesn't he? I was telling that the first time after I did that with him and he came up, the guy actually has passed away since then, not from concussion, okay? But he came up and he goes, you're talking about me, I remember. And I said, mm, you caught me, you know? But we'll baptize next week, we'll talk about that. You'll, you'll know more about it. But if you haven't been baptized yet, be ready for that. I want you just to close your eyes with me. The Christian life isn't hard, it's impossible. Only Jesus can live it. And he wants to live it through you, through his Holy Spirit. If you love me, you'll obey me. And as you obey him, as you spend time with him, you start to love him more and you want to obey him more and you trust his heart more. As the old world of ours is winding down and I think we are in the end times, it's gonna get really chaotic. It's going to be really important that your heart trusts God because we'll see things all around us that would cause us just deep worry, anxiety. I don't know where the economy's going. I don't know where the world is headed. I don't know what wars are going to break out, but I know God is faithful. He has a plan. It's not all falling apart. It's all coming together, and he'll help you see that and know that as you trust him through these four spiritual disciplines. Father, I ask that you would enable us to step into this, to really know you, to learn to trust you. I mean, to trust you so much that we would even give our finances to you and believe that you're gonna give us a sense of enoughness. I know that you do this. I've seen you do it over and over and over. People could stand up all over this room and say this personal Bible study time, this prayer time, this just walking filled with the Spirit time has changed everything. This giving, it's amazing what God's done as he's opened a pipeline for me to do that. Make that so for all of us. Come kingdom of God upon us. Be done will of God over us and let nothing stop what you wanna do. In these next years at Community of Faith, as you wrap up this old world and we stand bright as lights for you in the midst of all that darkness, for our children, for our grandchildren, for the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, community of faith, so much. You've been here these three weeks. One more to be part of the new generation of members. We've got some people up here to pray for you. If you want to just come pray with someone, do that, okay? We're here for you. Have a great day. Have a great week. We love you.